In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm so looking forward to being able to sit through that twice. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. Hey, Harvest, uh, accountability question from last week. How did it go living God's will this last week? You remember God's will? We talked about it last week and decision making. And, and, and just a reminder, two ways we could define God's will. One is by this. So here's what I like. How, how do we, what is God's will? Okay, by the way, hold up your Bible. Just hold up your Bible. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got some people around here who can get you one. But this is God's will. This is God's will for us. Uh, another way, as we talked about last week, is, is, is this tells us that we're to know, grow, and show Christ. Okay, so here's my question. How did it go this week, knowing, growing, and showing Christ this week? Because that's what we're to be about. And I just, as you look back this week, there's some times where I'm sure it's like, boy, I didn't do so well there. And other times where it's like, man, that was just, I really made an opportunity to know Christ better and to grow in Christ better and to show Christ better. And that's to him be the glory for that, right? So here's some other questions with that. How in this past week did your thinking go in knowing, growing, and showing Christ this week? How about in your actions this week? How did, how did that go this week in knowing, growing, and showing Christ? What about in your parenting? What, what about in your communication? What about in decisions? Uh, what about in, in, in your view and handling of money this past week? You mean my money knows, grows, and shows Christ? Absolutely. Okay, here's another one. What, what about your sex life this last week? You know, whenever that comes up, generally people are like, oh, don't quite know where to go with that one. And I'm talking about married couples and singles. But here's the deal. We're going to take a look at this topic. This is a sensitive topic. It's sensitive because a lot of times there's a lot of guilt associated with this topic. It's sensitive because there's a lot of uncomfort about this topic. I mean, we're talking about the bad word, S-E-X, in church. Are you kidding me? No, not. But there's a lot of uncomfort surrounding it. There's a lot of hurt. People who have been molested or, or misused. And also there's a lot of perceptions when we talk about the topics of money and sex, these last two topics in our series, we're finishing strong. And there's perceptions, you know, the church, they're just about money. After all, look at the TV. You know, those preacher dudes on TV? And I would walk away with the same impression. And by the way, good Christians don't talk about sex. <laughs> Here's the interesting thing. God does. And it's so sad because there's so much hurt in this area going on. And God has hope and help in this area and in finances. And so guess what? As a church that's committed to the scriptures, 
we're a church that's going to go there today. And in fact, if I were to be given the chance, which I haven't been, and, but if I were to be given the chance to ask what two areas in a person's life would I want to know about to really get an idea of their heart of hearts and what they're really all about, the two areas I would pick, money and their view and practice of sex in their life. Those are the two. Because those are incredible windows into the heart. So married couples... I want to say to you today, as we're talking through this, this topic is a window into what's going on in your marriage. Singles, as you think about this topic, this is a window into what's going on in your life in this area, and by the way, what is going to be going on in your life in this area in the future. Well, let's take a look at the topic of sexual intimacy. Do I have your attention? (laughs) Well, let's do it. And uh, let's go to Genesis 1, Genesis 1, to get started. And uh, I know on a topic like this, I need God's help, and we need God's help today, okay? So let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask for your help on this topic. I'm going to guess that uh, maybe for a lot of people in here today, this is the first time this topic has ever been addressed in church in their whole life. If that's the case, I'm thrilled they're here and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to talk about it because you do. And so, Lord, we jump in. Would you help me to deal with this well? Deal with it according to your word, not my perspective, but your truth. And I just pray for some people in here this morning who are hurting in this area. Would you bring hope? Would you bring help? It's all for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Let's pick up in verse 26. Verse 26, I'll read. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven over the yeah over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth we see here in the beginning that god created gender Gender is not just a physical thing. It's also an internal thing. Now listen, guys are different than girls, right? And girls are different than guys, right? Okay, and that's a God deal. It didn't just like happen. There wasn't like a mistaken mutant that took place. It was by design. It was by purpose. God created gender. And God, here in the very beginning, instructs Adam and Eve to engage in sexual relations. Marriage is not first and foremost a physical sexual thing, but physical, uh, the physical intimacy, sexual relationship, is a big part of marriage. And God started the plan out. Well, let's go over to verse 31. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. Chapter 1 is all about the big picture of creation taking place. And he says, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So God looks down and he sees the trees. 
Yeah, very good. And he looks down and he sees the, the, the dirt and the oceans and, and the stars and everything. He goes, oh, so very good. And he looks down and he sees Adam and Eve and he goes, so very good. And he looks at the fact that Adam and Eve can have sexual relations together and he goes, very good. And I want to tell you something. Today I am all about taking back this topic and bringing it back to a good thing by God. I'm just so fed up in our world with this idea of what, like, it knows what sex is about. <laughs> no. God does. And we're bringing it back. And here, God looks at it, because God looks and he goes, that is a very good thing. And there's this tendency to go, reading my Bible is a good thing. Prayer is a good thing. Going to church is a good thing. You know, telling someone about Christ is a good thing. Living with honor is a good thing. Being a, a teen, a tween of character is a good thing. Sexual thing, kind of hide that around. No, 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 no. God looks at the whole thing and goes, Glory. Good, glory be. And I mean this statement. God is just as glorified as you spending time in his word, couples, as he is you spending time in bed. God's not embarrassed about it. He's not shy about it. He's not disgusted about it. It's not a dirty thing. It's not a nasty thing. It's not a worldly thing. It's a God-created thing. So, have devotions. Okay, Genesis 2. <laughs> Genesis 2, verse 18. <laughs> that one's going to be going around for a while. <laughs> Genesis 2, verse 18. Genesis chapter 2 is kind of an expansion of Genesis chapter 1. Okay? Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds and to every beast in the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So... The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, oh yeah, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Understand, all of this is before sin ever came into the picture. God creates gender. We see that again. Eve is taken from Adam's rib. Isn't it interesting? God could have created Eve out of anything. He could have created Eve out of nothing. He could have created Eve out of a tree. He could have created Eve out of soil. He could have created Eve out of a flower. But instead, God creates Eve out of Adam's rib. And there's a picture there. That there's a union together. There's a relational unity that's taking place. And this relationship is designed to be taking place in marriage. And they're unashamed of nakedness. There's no shame, nothing naughty. It's just as God designed it. So summary here. God created gender. God created gender. Okay? 
That was God's deal. It wasn't someone's invention or a mistake or a dink that just took place. God made it happen. God created sexual intimacy. Man didn't. God did. God created sexual intimacy for it to take place in the covenant marriage relationship. Between a man and a woman, not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman, not masturbation, not other things, but in marriage. God sees sex intimacy as very good. It's pure, it's holy, and it brings him glory. And I just want to ask you this this morning, is this your understanding of this topic? God doesn't quiver about it. God doesn't shy away from it. God is just outright open and very, I made it. And if God made it the way he made it to be, it's good. And I'm so glad he did. That's sex properly understood. In a brief nutshell, now sex properly protected. Well, Doug, that's kind of a weird way to say that. No, I want to tell you, this week, I think this is the big deal for me. Because here's what's been going on, I think, in our culture today. We look at the topic of sex, and we kind of teach it to children and to others, and the way Christians commonly talk about it is like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And then it carries over kind of into this idea, like sexual intimacy is some kind of bad thing. I want to change that around this morning. I want to turn that around and go this way. Sex is something that is to be protected. And parents, in talking about it to your kids, singles, as you think about this topic, this is the deal. Protect it. Protect how cool God is that made it. Okay? March Madness illustration. Ready? Protect it. Okay? This over here is sexual immorality, uh, 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 sex outside of marriage, all these kinds of things that are taking place that does not please God out over here. Over here, this is the way God designed sex to be, in a marriage, wonderful, and we'll talk more about what is entailed in that. And our job as individuals, and our job as believers in Christ, is to be doing this. Listen, I'm not about, no, 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 no. I'm about this. Listen, this is something marvelous. This is something holy. This is something wonderful. And I'm protecting this junk from ruining that wonderful thing. That's just a different way to look at this. It's a proactive, positive thing. Hey, tweens and teens, I want to let you know, your pastor right here, I want for you to know that sexual intimacy is a wonderful thing. I love it. I'm not shy to say it. And part of my job as a believer and a follower in Christ and as a married man is to make sure that this stuff doesn't ruin this. So when we talk about it, uh, let's, let's work on how, the way in which we talk about it. It's not, no, 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 you can't do sex, you can't do It's no, we're protecting this because there's a time. There's a time, singles. There's a time, teens and tweens, where you're going to be able, if you get married, to be able to just lavish in it. Unashamedly. But when this comes into this, things get really twisted and messed up. And I'll say it this way. Pornographic sex is not married sex. Romance novel 
movie sex is not married sex. You see, because over here, you've got all this real life, two sinners living together, and we're trying to figure each other out. And there's days where I honk her off. And yet she's still in trying to work this through in finances and kids. Oh, my word. That is a whole other thing that working in this. And this is life. And over here in this whole thing, there's this whole view of sex that like pornographic sex. It's selfish sex. It's just wrong. It's just all. It's not real. And guys have the tendency to take the view of pornographic sex that she's always ready, <laughs> that she's always thinking I'm hot. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, all this kind of stuff over here. And we go, okay, now I can do this over here, and the way they portray this is the way it should happen here. <clears throat> Married people, it doesn't work that way, does it? But let me tell you this, it's way better. It's way better. And ladies... Novel sex, romance sex, be careful because you have the tendency, generally, to bring this over here that my husband is always going to be running to me in a cape <laughs> and candles everywhere. And it's like, whoa! And then you got what you got. And it's like, wait a second, that doesn't match with that. True? Uh-huh. I know you, because I'm one of you. Well, no, that part of it. All right. Before I get myself in more trouble, let's go to Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. I want to read this text to us, because this is talking about protecting. Okay? As you read through this, here's the point. Protect that. And King Solomon is talking to his son, and he's telling his son this. Protect your, this Protect this from this. Don't let this creep into what your view and understanding and practice is here. And I'm just going to read it, and we're going to read almost three chapters. And it's intense and straight up. So let's go. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. But she does not ponder that path. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me, and do not depart from my words of my mouth. Oh, please keep your way from her. and Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give her honor to, your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill in your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed and you say, Oh, how I hated discipline. In my heart, it despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructions. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. 
Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Oh, no, let, let, let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be, I love this, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for a lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. They are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People, do not despise a thief if he stands to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Wounds and dishonor will he get, and his disgrace will not be wiped away, for jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words. And treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commands and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward, and her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egypt linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, 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 let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. 
He has gone out on a long journey. He, he, he took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. And with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to my words, to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Wow. Wow. Well, but Doug, uh, Christians don't struggle with that stuff. Lie. But Doug, I haven't been with a prostitute. Matthew five twenty-seven to 28. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, commandment number seven. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in her heart. Listen to me. Everyone in this room, including me, has broken the seventh commandment. And everyone in this room understands Solomon's story. Sin is attractive. Sin is attractive. That's part of what Solomon's talking about here. It is attractive. Sexual sin, it's attractive. All sin is attractive. It looks good. It sounds good. It feels good. Sin is available. Sexual sin is available. It's just available. And not only is it available, it's not like sitting on the shelf. The scriptures talk about how sin pursues you and I. Like a roaring lion wanting to devour you and I. It's not like there's this little naughty on the shelf over there and it's like, whoop, don't go by that. Don't go by that. Because you might get like sucked in. No, 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 no. It's it's coming after me. Nothing would be more pleasing than for me to be taken out here. Nothing would be more pleasing to Satan for you to be taken out. Those of you who are married. Those of you who are single. Nothing would be more pleasing to Satan than for you to be wound and bound and in and in the life-dominating sin of pornography. Nothing would thrill him more. Sin is attractive. Sin is available. And sin is a lie. It looks like a fish. It swims like a fish. Bite. Whoa, not a fish. It's called a lure. Then when you bite in it, you feel the reality of the deception that it holds. 
sin is a lie. It's a lie, and yet we all struggle with it, right? Thank you for saying yes. It's, a, it's, it's just a lie, but we all struggle with it. And lastly, sin is costly. It cost him his life. I just want to say, do you, as we protect the understanding that we have of what God has designed sex to be, are we protecting that? Because God has something far better, really, really special, really, really wonderful. And we're just like, no, I'm not going to let this take that. No! That's what God wants us to be, active people. Do we understand there's a war going on? And if there's a war going on for my thoughts, for my life, for my actions, in this area of sexual intimacy, do I have a battle plan? Otherwise, am I just walking around going, oh, I hope, hope I don't have to go there no more. This is a war. So here's a couple things. What's your battle plan for what you watch? Especially I'm talking to you guys here talking to everybody, but especially you guys. What's your standard for movies? For DVDs? For your television? For gaming? For internet? Listen, guys, straight up here. If you don't have something on your computer that blocks or an accountability reality, I, I love you enough to say this. I think you're a fool. Because you said a Playboy magazine in my family room table, I'm just telling you, sometime I'm going there. And you have a laptop, you have a computer that's there, that's open to bazillions of those. And you don't think you're going to go there? Well, I'm way glad you're way more godly than I am because I'm just telling you, that's just, you're a fool. On mine, I have a Covenant Eyes program. My son sees everywhere I go. Oh, I don't know, I'm just intense today. My son sees everywhere I go. And I see everywhere he goes. And every so often, we have a call. That had an awful high number, Dad. What was with that? This week. As I'm getting ready for a sermon, trying to find this picture. I'm looking on things, you know, iStock Photo and Getty Images and, you know, uh, uh, Google Images and things like that. Look, it's everything, 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 everything. And so I sent him an email this week. Hey, Doug, Luke, Doug. Hey, Luke, I'm working on uh, this topic, preaching on sexual intimacy. Just want for you to know there's probably going to be some high numbers coming up here. I just, the accountability has to be there. And if you don't have something, I just want to say, guys, don't be a fool anymore. What are your standards for what you watch? Ephesians 5.3, there should not even be a hint. Well, Doug, you're awful like uptight about this. Doug, you're kind of prudy about this. Am I? Here's what I would say. I think this is a call to protect that. I'm not saying don't do this. If you're married, as we'll see here in a minute, have at it. But protect it. Protect it. That's the way God designed it. For you ladies, I really just want to say, what you read, the romance novels, the books, the magazines that you get, what's your standards, what you listen to and what you think. Bob and Tob, Howard Stern, funny. 
Really? Your music, what you wear, women, teens, tweens, singles, do you dress to be hottie or do you dress? You dress to get the eye and the attraction of guys? How's that helping guys? Who you hang with? Singles, who you date? What you do on your date? Some statement. Kissing is the first step of intercourse. All the time in the past, especially I've gotten asked, how far? How far is okay? Here's a statement. Kissing is the first step to intercourse. I wish I would have heeded my own advice. Singles, teens, and tweens. I wish I would have heeded my own stinking advice. Protect it. It's worth protecting. Sex outside of God's design brings pain. Believe me, it brings pain. Don't go there. Solomon tells us it preserves your very life and it will protect your, se- your sexual life. Well, sex properly practiced. Sex properly practiced. 1 Corinthians 7. I'm getting hot. <laughs> Heat hot. <laughs> Nick, don't put that on the web. <laughs> okay, First Corinthians chapter 7. Oh, does someone have a nap, uh, Kleenex? It would be great if someone did. I forgot to bring one. Sex properly practiced. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Thank you. What does God have to say about how sex is to be practiced? Hang in here. I'm going to keep it proper. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What? After all that? And now it says this? Wait a second, what's going on here? Well, let me just put it this way. There were questions that were asked to Paul from Corinth. Corinth was a sexually immoral city, a immoral place. People had come to Christ, and they're trying to figure out what's going on with this. And in this whole process, they're asking him questions, and I think the question that was asked here is, is celibacy more spiritual than sexual intimacy? In other words, should we pull out of not having sexual intimacy? Is that something, is it more spiritual? And Paul is answering back and he's saying, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Like, what's he talking about? Well, let's jump up to verse 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one from the other, uh, one of one kind and one of another. Verse uh, 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Paul, in essence, is saying, listen, those of us who are married, you know, that life gets complicated, doesn't it? I mean, you have, more, you have another person to take care of than if you have children. You've got all that to take care of. Listen, life gets more complicated as you get tight with more people. That's just the fact. And Paul is saying here, listen, it's good if you can live single your whole life. 
But it's not saying live single. Listen, that's what he's talking about. Some people God has gifted and equipped and given them the ability to be able to be single their whole life. And I'm telling you, I ain't one of them. Man, when I used to be in business and would be away and travel overseas or other places around the world and be away from my wife, I'd look, go, and you look at a building, you go, isn't that cool? Isn't this really beautiful? And like, no one's there. And I realize I am incredibly a boring person alone. And I love being married. I love having that. And that's what Paul's talking about here, okay? Verse 2, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Now verse 3 here is talking about this giving. It's a fulfilling. It's a rendering. In other words, it's saying here literally, it's talking about how don't steal from your spouse. The word is used in that kind of a discussion. Don't steal from your spouse. You have an obligation. You have a duty to your spouse. It's not about you. So in verse 2, it's talking about sex properly practiced in marry, is married intimacy. Sex properly practiced is married intimacy. It's between a husband and a wife. Mar- marriage is God's answer for sexual desires. And married intimacy is a way of protecting God's plan. Sexual intimacy is a ministry to your spouse. You are helping your spouse. And it's to be in married intimacy. Sex properly practiced is a giving intimacy. It's spouse-centered as verses 3 and 4 talk about. In marriage, sex is an obligation to your spouse. Do you know that? You see, here's what I was talking about. You see, over here in the way the world views it, it's all about me. Mm-hmm. Bring it, babe. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's all about me. But not God's plan. God's plan is this. I, this, this number six on the ten hottie scale, <laughs> this, this is about her. This is hers. It's for her. Ladies, you... It's not about you. It's just straight up not about you. It's not about what I want. It's not about whether I feel like it. Do you see what I'm saying? That's over here because it's all about me. Over here, the way God talks, it's me all about her. It's me all about him. That's the way God designed It's a giving intimacy. That's why, about, that's why all about me porn sex is not all about you married sex. That's why everything is perfect in life. Romance sex is not married sex. And each spouse is called to sacrificially and generously give to the other. Are you? And if not, why not? I'm just utterly astonished at times how people can look in the wholeness of their walk with God. And if you, I'm reading my Bible. I'm pray, as a married person, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm doing all these other things. But in the area with my spouse, nothing's happening there. What? And like God doesn't know about that? Like God is blind to that? Like that's okay because I know you just don't feel like it. I just want to call to rethink the paradigm. Because God is so honest about it. 
He's so straight up about it. Verse 5. Do not deprive one another. See what I'm talking about? No, no. See what God's talking about. Do not deprive one another. No, 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 no. Except, perhaps, I love that. Except, perhaps, maybe, kind of, but except, perhaps, by agreement, you've talked together for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now, how often in married relationships has that taken place? Let's sit down, talk over coffee, and you know what? We're going we're gonna to not go there for a period of time. In fact, to this date. And here's why. Because we're going to spend time in prayer and fasting over these issues. And the time that we would normally be doing that, we're going to be doing this and keying in on a spiritual reality that's going on. And I want to put it this way. The husband then has hope. The husband has no hope. Or, I'm sorry, has hope. That is going to come back again. Everybody knows. Everybody's on the same table. Generally, husbands... In the area of, I'm sorry, jumped ahead. Uh, sexual properly, sex properly practiced is a consistent intimacy. A consistent intimacy we see in verse 5. Sexual intimacy is a ministry. It's a ministry to your spouse. But I don't feel like it. But I'm tired. But understand, understand, understand. You work together as a team. But that is not an excuse. It's a ministry to my spouse. Kind of getting a little personal here, aren't we? Generally, husbands... In this area of consistency, generally, husbands, cool your jets. Discipline yourselves for your spouse and God. It isn't about your desire, it's about hers. Generally, in marriage, the husband would prefer to have more consistency than the wife. I'm just telling you, in general, we've talked a couple after couple after couple after couple, and in our own lives. That's generally the thing. And part of it is, is if it is, if this is about her, then that means I need to learn also to control myself. That's part of my job in ministering to her. I don't go to this verse and go, your body's for me. Come, 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 come. Wait a second. Matthew 5 through 7. Get the log out of my eye first. So guys, I just lovingly just want to straight up say, learn to cool your jets. And singles, you're in the process of setting a pattern. And guys, I would encourage you, singles and teens, learn to cool your jets. Because it will carry into your marriage. Wives, love you here. Generally, wives pick up the pace. It isn't about you. It's about ministry to your husband. It's helping him in his purity. It's about working as a team. Talk about this consistently. Notice there's no pre-existing clauses in this other than you've agreed together to devote time to prayer. Wives, are you aware of the consistency? You should be because God is. It's holistic in a marriage relationship. It's holistic, not compartmentalized out. God's design is that you bring sexual satisfaction to your spouse. <sighs> Bet you haven't had a talk like this for a while. Some closing comments. Teens and singles. Date and marry by the godly factor, not the haughty factor. No, I'm very serious about that. Marry by the godly factor. Date by the godly factor, not the haughty factor. Oh, he's so hot. So, later on he won't be. 
your purity practices as a single carry into your marriage. I'm just going to say it again. Kissing is the first step to intercourse. And speaking of random, I generally recommend engagements for under a year, six to nine months. It just gets too much. Married couples, what does the present status of your intimacy over the last month tell you about the status of your marriage? God's aware of it. If you're not paying attention, I want to encourage you to start. What if you've been visiting the seductress? I'm just talking about sin in this area. Whether it's on the internet, through movies, through books, through whatever. What if you've been visiting that as a practice? One, I want to call you to see the war. It is seeking to devour you. And you need to protect the beachhead. This, the good stuff, protect that and stop letting it get ruined. See the war, but see the hope. Go back and read 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, right before the passage in 1 Corinthians 7. And Paul says a list of what various things, including sexually immoral, and this list of just horrific things that people would do. And he said to the Corinthians, and were such some of you. The hope in that. The fact that these people were that way at one time. And now change has taken place. And it's a different ball game now. See the hope, then repent, repent. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. Take a look at worldly repentance and godly repentance. There's a difference. Oh, I hate that. I feel guilty. Okay, I'm back. That's worldly repentance, not godly repentance. Repent and get some help. Well, I'll do this on my own. No, you won't. And start thinking biblically. Read Genesis 39, the story of uh, Joseph with Potiphar's wife. Come on, Joseph. Come on, baby. Come on. How can I sin against my God? Now that's good theology. Put into real life right there. Amazing. Start thinking biblically. Start doing right. Self-control. Run like Joseph and serve other people and get off yourself. It's not about you. And get accountable. Pray and serve. Lastly, before we watch a closing video, women feel loved outside of the bedroom, guys. Women feel loved outside of the bedroom. Are you, are you loving your wife outside? Are you helping? Men feel loved in the bedroom. Wives often give themselves fully to their children in the young years, and the husband gets leftovers. Husbands often give themselves fully to their career and give their wives leftovers. Let's think biblically on this topic. It's good, it's really good, it's wonderful, it's God pleasing. It's God-honoring. It's good. It's good. We should be the people out there saying it's good. Let's close with this video.